0: Father, thank you for this opportunity to be under your word. Father, we pray that we would hear from you tonight by your spirit. We pray that Jesus' words would be clear to us and not confusing. Pray that they would be convicting and encouraging. I pray, Father, that as we think about fasting and praying and the command once again to forgive, that we would respond by your power. We would not respond with our own strength or with our own resolve, but rather respond by your Spirit's enabling. And I pray that we would not be distracted in these moments. Pray, Father, by your Spirit, we would be focused, we would have attention, and that we would be helped by you. that you would get the glory and we would be helped. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're in Matthew 6, 14 to 18, but... I want to kind of go backwards. I want to take the last part of this set of four verses first. So let's first talk about Jesus, if you will, teaching on fasting and prayer. I'll read it, Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is fasting? Fasting is often associated with The going without food. That's often what we think about when we think about fasting. We think about skipping a meal, skipping several meals, or possibly not eating for days, maybe weeks. Jesus fasted 40 days in the beginning of his ministry. And after the 40 days were up, the devil tempted him. You remember that in Matthew chapter 4. But did you know that you can fast from more than just food? And that's what I'm going to argue for right now. Some of you are familiar with Paul's instructions to husbands and wives and their intimacy practices. Anyone familiar with that teaching? The husbands and wives are familiar with that teaching, and the husbands probably more so than the wife. The husbands are laughing, assuming you got the joke. Some of you look confused. You'll, You'll figure it out tomorrow, and you'll be like, oh... Okay? But Paul says there is a fasting of intimacy in marriage for a specific purpose, for prayer. And he says, but as soon as you're done on that decided time, come back together so that what doesn't happen? So you're not tempted by the devil. And serious. And so this is not a teaching on intimacy in marriage, but I think it's pretty <laughs> profound. That Paul says, as soon as you're done with that uh, uh, time that you guys have both decided to fast and commit to prayer, you better get back to intimacy because that allows the devil into your marriage. That's pretty serious. And so let's be very careful with our intimacy between husbands and wives. This is not a teaching on intimacy between in mar- marriage. This is a teaching on fasting. So let's talk about fasting. Okay. We often think about it in terms of food, but Paul right there talked about it not in terms of food. So it, it does mean more than food. Jesus' principle here is when you do fast, and, and notice there's no command really here to fast. Did you notice that? He doesn't say thou shalt fast. He says when you fast, it's like assumed that you will be fasting. And in the Old Testament, the Old covenant people were commanded to observe many fasts. There was multiple fasts that were commanded, but in the New Testament, we don't see any direct commands, but Jesus here is rather assuming that fasting will be a normal part of your discipleship, a normal part of your spiritual disciplines, if you will. It's a means of grace, but I don't want you to get the idea that the New Testament actually puts any any commands on you too fast because it does not. So what Jesus says, when you do fast, here's a specific command that Jesus does give. You need to do it in such a way where the least amount of people as possible know what you're doing. And I would argue, if you have a problem of wanting to be seen by men and women. If you have the problem that you want people to observe you, to look at you, to think of you more highly than they ought to, because you have an issue with self-aggrandizing, to use Persian's term, then you need to be very secretive about your fasting. But for some of us, that's not a temptation. Okay? We won't, if we're fasting, be tempted to put it on Facebook and say, oh, I'm so hungry. I've been fasting for a week. And then all the comments, oh you're so holy, you're amazing, how could you fast for a week, I couldn't even skip breakfast. You're so holy and your smile just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That would be Jesus' command to you, don't you dare put something on Facebook if you're looking for praise of men. Because what will happen? You receive your reward with every compliment. And if that's what you're looking for, that's as much reward as you get. But I want to tell you that when you fast, the reward you should be looking for is God. God in His presence shows up in a unique way when we fast. When we give special attention to Him by going without. And I, I would say that's a very simple and good definition of fasting. Going without in order to give more attention to God. Going without in order to give more attention to God. So let's look specifically what Jesus does say. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So the hypocrites would be those who did exactly that. They were fasting and so they wanted you to know they were fasting. So they, you know, they walked slower and they had a low... And they disfigured their hair. And maybe if they were a woman, they didn't do their makeup. And they just, oh, you look terrible. I'm like, no, nah, I've been fasting. I haven't eaten for three days. Oh, really? Why? Well, because I'm just seeking the Lord. I just want just to know in a deeper, a fuller way. Wow, you're holy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Can't you tell by looking at me? I look so gloomy and disheveled. Now that's funny, but Jesus says that people do this. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. That means that there were people in Jesus' culture, contemporaries, who did this very thing. They purposely looked gloomy, and they purposely disfigured their faces so that they would be seen by others. We cannot be those people. Dare we do any spiritual discipline for the sake of being seen and praised by others because you totally missed the point of any spiritual discipline. Jesus' warning about giving in public was because you're going to lose your reward if you just want to be seen by men. His warning about praying in public was you lose your reward if you want to be seen by men. And the very same thing is here. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Okay? What's the reward? People think highly of you. But Jesus sees right through you, and he doesn't think highly of you. That's the warning. We don't want to be seen by others and be thought highly of if God sees right through our facade and hypocrisy and says... If that's what you wanted, that's what you're getting, and that's all you're getting. But listen, the deal is, when you fast, verse 17, anoint your head. For you ladies, that means, like, use your curling iron or your straightening, whichever one you use, and use your products. Look in the mirror and do your makeup, okay? For brothers, that means, like, when you get up, at least for me, I know it's like haircut time when, like, the flatness happens on one side. I'm like, oh, You can tell which side I slept on, okay? And I fluff it up with water and the towel, And And I'm done. It's awesome. That's why I'll never, ever let my hair grow to my wife's dismay, (laughs) ever, because all I hear here's how I do my hair, about 20 seconds, fluff it with a towel, boom, done, toss it, okay? Any of my shaved head people with me, like, we waste no time doing our hair. You know you ladies, six hours in front of the mirror doing your hair, that could have been time you could have been praying and reading Spurgeon, man. Shame on you. This. Yeah, I'm but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Okay, so the point is, look normal. Look like you look every other day if you're actually fasting. That's the point. You shouldn't look any different. That, your fasting, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. Let's camp on that last verse. Now, the reward that we will get by God in secret is, listen, God meets us in special and unique ways. When we give up in order to get what? Him. And listen, if you don't value God's presence, you won't fast. It's just all there is to it. I'm not saying you have to fast, but I'm saying if you have fasted, you know that you pay more attention to God when you're fasting, if you're fasting for that purpose. It's not like, oh, I've got to get a, a colonoscopy tomorrow, so I've been fasting. Okay? God doesn't show up in a unique way for a colonoscopy. And he is laughing because that's his, his line of work. He knows what I'm talking about. Okay? There are reasons to fast that aren't spiritual, and I'm not talking about those. If you're on a diet, and you're like, I'm only eating peanuts and popcorn, God's not like, oh, I'm going to show up on that. The idea of fasting is fasting for the purpose of getting more of God, getting His presence in a unique way, possibly you hearing from Him on something that you need to hear from Him on. And now, here's what we're going to do as a church. I'm going to challenge you all to fast this week, okay, and I'm not going to necessarily challenge you to fast with food, because you know what I think? I think more of you would benefit from fasting from Facebook, yes, so, so here it is, and I can already tell by the complaints. Look, check it out, I'll bet if you time the amount of time you check your phone, or you check your, whatever, your tablet, take that time that you would go, and I'm talking, don't just not go on it, take it off. Like, don't make it an option. Take the app off for a week. And then, listen, purposefully take that time that you would spend on there and spend it in the Bible and prayer. How about some of you, let's let's fast from sleep, and I don't mean don't sleep, because that would be crazy, right? After about three days of that, you're gonna be first name zombie, last name, your name. I mean, let's let's fast for an hour of sleep. If you normally get seven, let's do six and let's get up an hour earlier. And let's spend that hour not sleeping, but with God in the Bible and in prayer. So if you fast for a week, one hour, a day of of, uh, sleep, that could be seven extra hours that you would spend with God that you wouldn't be spending with Him otherwise. I'll bet that would absolutely change your life. Or, if you want to go traditional, then skip a meal. Maybe skip two meals and just do dinner for a week. But listen, don't just skip the meal and then go on Facebook. That would defeat the purpose. If you're going to stop dinner for a week. Take the time you would spend at dinner and preparing dinner and be in your Bible and in prayer. You, you see what I'm getting at here? Let's not just fast so that you can say, oh I fasted I tried that. No. If you're going to fast, we're going to do it and we're going to take the time that we would spend doing something else whether it's eating, or doing on Facebook or sleeping and we're going to take the time and devote it to God so that we might Find him in a unique and fuller way. You see, the reward we get will be God Himself. And I have a few things that I would like you to think about in prayer and talk to God about in prayer while you're fasting. And listen, all of you can fast from something. You can skip breakfast for a week and eat lunch and dinner. You can do that. Okay? But for some of you, I'm serious. It, it would probably be better for you to not do social media for a week. And, and if you're going to do Facebook, don't compensate and binge on Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter. Okay? Take the time you would spend on social media and spend it with God. That's the point. The point here is spend some time with God that you wouldn't normally be spending. You're going to free up some minutes. Some of you are like, I eat in five minutes. That's crazy to me, but whatever. Five minutes is better than no minutes extra with God. Okay? But more than likely, you, you spend 25 minutes to an hour eating, sleeping, on social media, Okay. Now, now those are just suggestions. You can fast from whatever takes up your time. If you're, if you're a, a habitual TV watcher, like some of you have your show or your shows or your hour or two dedicated to TV, let's, let's take an hour off of TV a day. I don't care what it is, but what's taking up your day? What's taking up your hours? Something is, and it's not all work. You're doing something that you could give up for the sake of having God, the Creator. And let's commit till next Sunday. To seven days. Oh my goodness. Let's do it. What, what if the whole church fasted for a week and we, in addition to whatever you need God to meet you about? Because surely you got some stuff you need God to meet you about. Let's pray about these two things. PJ's going to walk around and pass out these little pieces of paper. This is for us as a church, okay? After the Sermon on the Mount series, we are going to enter into a short season, but an intense season of equipping and training so that you, every single one of you, can be engaged in disciple-making. Because too many of us are sitting on the bench when Jesus has commanded all of us to make disciples who make disciples. And I think for our church, for our church uniquely, we have been saying from day one in 2014, we're going to be a disciple-making church who makes disciples. And there's only a few of us doing it. And for us to be that church, all of us need to be doing it. And so for some of us, I'm thinking maybe you just don't know how to do it. And so we're going to train and equip. We're going to enter into an intense Season. but season won't be long, like a year, but an intense season of specifically equipping. All of the sermons will be for equipping for discipleship. All of the gospel Center community meetings will be for equipping for discipleship. All of it. And then we're going to actually keep each other accountable and say, are you doing it? And so what if we all fasted for a week and prayed the same thing? What's the first one? That God would guide you specifically. This is you praying for you. As to how he wants you to obey, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. That's go, therefore, into the world. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that commandment. Number two, that God would prepare the church. So now this is you praying for the rest of the church. That means the people all of the people you're sitting next to right now, that God would prepare the church for the next season of discipleship training for every person who calls the church their church. So in addition to whatever you're going to pray about in your time of fasting and prayer, what if we all pray this? Do you think God's going to show up in these ways? I think He will. Behind the scenes, um, the leaders have been talking, thinking praying, How are we going to equip every single person in the church to make disciples to make disciples? Okay? And we're going to we're going to launch into an equipping season. It's not going to be continuous, but it will be a season. Okay? And then we're going to see how it goes. We're going to reevaluate, and then we're going to we're going to do some more equipping. But you, some of you, remember from day one in the living room, we said we're going to be like a UPMC hospital, and if you've been in Children's or you know that there's one doctor and then there's like five interns and they're all taking notes and they're taking temperatures and they're all, you're like, why is there so many people in this room? Because they're being trained. Jesus always had an entourage with him. And what was he doing? He was training. He was equipping. He was making disciples so that then they could go out and make disciples. And what we often do, brothers and sisters, is we say, discipling is for someone else. Because I don't have a preaching gift. Or a teaching gift. You don't need a preaching or teaching gift to make disciples. Okay? And so we, we will train and equip every one of you. Alright. So in addition to your praying God and asking for His presence to show up in a unique and profound way, would you please pray these two requests? Please. What does God want you to do specifically? And would you pray for the rest of the church that God would prepare all of us for this quickly, please. Alright, let's move on. Let's talk about forgiveness one more time. Why? Because Jesus talks about forgiveness one more time. Now this is the very next sentences after the Lord's Prayer. And so you know that starting at verse 12... Of Matthew 6 Jesus said this forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors now we took two messages on that verse and if you guys are unfamiliar with those messages they're on the website those ones recorded clearly go back and visit them but Jesus is now expanding on verse 12 here and and I'm wondering this I'm wondering if when he asked us to pray that God would forgive us as we forgive others, the very next verse is about asking for help in temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in the original manuscripts, like the, the earliest ones, the next verse is verse 14. And so I wonder if wrestling with forgiveness would lead us possibly into temptation. And Satan would be highly involved in that situation because when we're talking about forgiveness, guys, we're talking about the essence of Christianity. It's not a side doctrine that's debated. It's the essence. It's a core, if not the core doctrine outside of the Trinity itself. Because without forgiveness, you're not connected to God. You're on the outside looking in. And Jesus now follows up with this astounding, listen to this, this astounding claim. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And then 15, a warning. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, anybody who has a theological head on their shoulders has read that and said, what? What? He can't mean what he's saying there. Or can he? Because what Jesus seems to be saying here is, if you forgive others, then God will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others... You're not forgiven. And so forgiveness seems to be conditional. And there are plenty of commentators who believe that. But see, if you know your Bible well, you know that if forgiveness is conditional in the way that your sins aren't forgiven unless you are forgiving others, then we have to scrap Romans 8, 28 through 30. Don't we, PJ? Because those whom God foreknew, He predestined. To what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. And those whom He predestined, He what? He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He glorified. Where's forgiveness in that golden chain of redemption? It's not there. Like, he didn't say those whom he knew obeyed the command to forgive, he justified. No, you see, calling is the effectual call of God which leads to justification. Where's faith in there? Because all through the, the scriptures, we're justified by what? Faith. Faith is assumed, it's in the middle, but it's not even mentioned. It's right from calling. To justify. Justified means you're forgiven, you're free, you're not guilty. Why? Because you have Jesus, not guiltiness. So, what is Jesus saying? If forgiveness is conditional on whether or not we forgive, then we're in big trouble and we gotta really do some damage to a lot of other texts in the New Testament. And by grace you've been saved through faith and this not of your own doing it's a gift so that no one can boast doesn't say for by forgiving others you've been forgiven and this is by your own doing so that you can boast right like we, we gotta do damage to a lot of other texts and so what do we do with this Well, we think deeply and we do text comparison which is kind of what I just did a little bit of And we we think. And so here here's what will be happening, okay? So I'm gonna talk about what's not being said, but let's first talk about what is being said. Okay? What is being said is this that Jesus is commanding us to forgive others. No Mm -hmm. doubt. And he's saying that it's serious. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul admonishes the church at Ephesus this way. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, how do we do that? That's a good question. Because I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you want to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, one way we can clearly grieve the Holy Spirit is, is by being flat out disobedient to what Jesus commanded or what his authoritative writers command. It's one way we can read the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was behind all of the writers of the Old and New Testament. He was the one inspiring them. Not in the Oprah way, but in the way that made them write what like he wanted to write, but still with their own creativity and personalities, but yet still him writing exactly what they wanted to write, so that what they wrote is the very words of God. And so when Matthew records what Jesus wrote here, the Holy Spirit actually inspired Matthew to write what Matthew wrote. And so we have here, forgive others their trespasses. So we know we have to forgive and if, if, if some of you struggle with forgiveness, I want to at least say start by going back to verse 12 and listening to those messages. And if you've listened to those messages and you're still struggling, come talk to me and, and I'll, I'll give you some more resources and we can, we can press through that. Part of discipleship is learning how to forgive when you can. You're, you're wrestling to obey. You're not saying, I won't. You're saying, I need help too. There's a difference. One says, I will not, and listen, that grieves the Holy Spirit. What happens when you grieve the Holy Spirit? So let's ask that. If, if directly disobeying what he wrote grieves him, what happens when he's grieved? Well, we know at least this. Hebrews 12, 5-11 says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Sons in this context means children of God. Okay? So, we're already children of God in this context. And what about them? He quotes Proverbs chapter 3 and he says this, My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. The writer of Hebrews is quoting Proverbs chapter 3. And then the writer of Hebrews comments on Proverbs chapter 3 and says this, verse 7. For for discipline that I'm sorry it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That means that God does Actually, let stuff go bad for us in our lives perhaps he creates some loss in your life his discipline looks different for everybody perhaps he shuts a door I don't know what it looks like in every instance but we know that God disciplines his children and if you never experience any discipline from God the writer of Hebrews clearly said then you're not his Every single one of us will be disciplined by God. And it's not a bad thing. In fact, he goes on to say it's not a bad thing. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and what? Men. Discipline, in this context, is for life. It's for you to have life. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplined us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Now, share his holiness, in one sense, we can't. Because God is holy in a whole other realm of existence than we are. Untouchable by any being. But then in another sense, in his moral perfection and in his beauty of holiness, his outstanding character, like think fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And that's holiness. And those are all good, excellent, beautiful qualities for you to possess. God is disciplining you for life and so that you can be holy. In other words, He's getting the sin out of you. It's a sin to not forgive people. And if you refuse, Hear what I said. There's a difference between wrestling with and refusing. There's a difference. One says, I want to, but I'm struggling, help. God loves that. I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus responds. That's different than saying, I will not stiff on. You're just asking for discipline. And I'm trying to warn you and say, though it's for good and for holiness, I don't want discipline. Like how many of you just invited spanking from your parents and you're like, please. Like I'll go get the paddle or the belt or I'll pull my pants down for you. It's not child abuse. Spare the raw and Spoil the child. Okay, that's the Bible. And though Dr. Phil would have you thrown in prison for life. The writer of Proverbs says it's a good thing. And it's a book of wisdom. We're not talking about beating our children. We're talking about disciplining them. We're not talking about punching them in the face. We're talking about spanking their butts. Okay? We're not talking about losing an eye because you backhanded them and your ring had a sharp object like a blade on it. Okay. Verse 11. And we're done with Hebrews 12. For the, for the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's what I just said. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So in a sense, it's training. The discipline of the Lord is training for you. For what? For holiness. For life. Listen, if you really believe that sin equals death, the wages of sin is Death. then for more sin to get out of your life means life and if you hold on to sin and you don't want to release sin and you want to stay in sin and you want to practice sin you're asking for death let's just be real and if you love death cling to sin but if you love life repent and live it's not a negative thing To repent. It's a beautiful thing that brings life and joy and peace. It keeps God's disciplining hand away. And keeps his hand of love and blessing on you. Though, paradoxically, the hand of discipline is a blessing too. Proves that you're his and it brings life and holiness. Okay, so remember, to disobey this command to forgive would be a sin. And you would be grieving the Holy Spirit. What does that result in? You're asking for the discipline of the Lord. And one more time, there's a difference between stiff arm, I will not, and help me, I'm struggling to obey. Okay. John Stott is a fantastic theologian, dead now. Speaking of God's forgiveness, he said this. He said, forgiveness is our spiritual necessity or need. Forgiveness is as indispensable to life and health, life and health of the soul, as food is to the body. So just like you need food for nourishment and life, in the same way spiritually, you need forgiveness for spiritual life and health. Because we don't realize how many times we offend God every day. Day in and day out, we're sinning, we're sinning, we're sinning, in motives and in deeds. And God is offering forgiveness constantly and continually, sometimes without us even knowing we were wrong. Yet He's forgiving us, He's forgiving us. John Stott commenting on this verse, I think it's helpful. He says this, Our forgiveness of others does not earn our right to be forgiven. Instead, it indicates that the one, it's one of the evidence of being forgiven by God. One of the evidences of our being forgiven by God is our willingness to forgive those who sin against us. So I think what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, if you cannot forgive other people or you refuse to, you are giving strong evidence that you're actually not forgiven. You're giving evidence that you are an unforgiven person. Why? Because you have been forgiven so much by God. How could you withhold the little forgiveness that you owe to others? Because they owe you a debt. They trespass against you. The equal... The equalness of what you owe God and what others owe you is not equal. You owe God an unpayable debt and what others owe you is so little in comparison. Now it may be a major thing that they did. I'm not discounting that. You may have been sinned against grievously, but in comparison to how you've sinned against God, when you reflect and meditate on how much God has forgiven you and what it cost Jesus on the cross, how can you not... By the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive others. Another commentator says this. The point is not so much that forgiving is a prior condition of being forgiven, but that forgiveness cannot be a one-way process. I like that. Forgiveness can't be a one-way process where you just receive from God. That's it. Just give. You get none. Just keep it. Forgiveness cannot be a one-win process. Like all God's gifts, it brings responsibility. It must be passed on. To ask for forgiveness on any other basis is hypocrisy. That's good. That was working to To ask for forgiveness on any other basis is hypocrisy. In other words, how in the world can you go to God and ask Him for forgiveness if you're withholding it from someone else? That's pure hypocrisy. And I think Jesus is using exaggerated hyperbole here to express that very thing. Spurgeon says this, It may be a blessing to be wrong." What? I always say that when I read Spurgeon. What did you just say? It may be a blessing to be wronged. Okay, Spurgeon, why? Since it affords us an opportunity of judging whether we are indeed the recipients of the pardon which comes from the throne of God. Do you hear what Spurgeon just said? He said, when you're wronged, okay, this is a blessing, because it gives you an opportunity to see if you're forgiven. Because unforgiving people refuse to forgive. So is saying. We'll read it again. It may be a blessing to be wrong, since it affords us an opportunity of judging whether we are indeed the recipients of the pardon which comes from the throne of God. Very sweet is it to pass by other men's offenses against ourselves. For thus we learn how sweet it is to the Lord to pardon us. That's helpful. Jesus repeats almost the same thing in Mark eleven twenty-five. 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. let's land this here and let us meditate once again on how much we've been forgiven by God. Our need for forgiveness was so great that God was willing to kill His own Son. The the debt was that great that only Jesus could atone for. You put a billion lambs on the altar and it wasn't enough. Slaughter a thousand bulls and it's not enough. God had to die. And God made himself able to die for your sake. You had to become one of us because you can't kill God. But you can kill a human being. And so God himself incarnates and he becomes like us yet unlike us at the same time for he didn't lose his deity and he never committed sin like we always do. The second Adam, victorious. And then he goes and pays for all your sins so that you can be forgiven. And it's listen, it's not a bad thing for you to see your sin and all of its ugliness. It's a good thing. And I would argue the more you see how sinful you are and what it costs God to forgive you, the more you'll be willing to just throw forgiveness out. But listen, heed the warning, okay? Brothers and sisters, if you're not able to forgive or if you're refusing to forgive, that says a lot about your forgiveness. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let's not pass by it so quickly. Are you forgiven? And if you are forgiven, you will have the power to forgive. And, in addition, he's not saying, forgive on your own strength. I've given you of my very self my power the Spirit of God to help you and enable you to do what I'm commanding.